0: Hello and welcome to DMC's with Clarissa, where everything that goes beyond small talk is discussed. Hello and welcome to another episode of DMC's with Clarissa. Thank you for joining me again on another journey with another person another topic and today sitting opposite me is Caroline a friend of mine who i've known now for quite a while actually and we've had some overlapping in our education even before we met each other (laughs) so it brought us together in the long run and we're going to be talking about uh, how it is to live with a disease, overcoming a disease, and especially having to experience such thing in your early childhood. But before we get into it, could you just quickly introduce yourself to our listeners today? Of course. I mean, first, thanks for having
1: me. Um, as you said, I'm, I'm Caroline. Um, I'm a central banker. I work in economics and um, And yeah, I moved to London from Switzerland like six years ago or something like that, which is when we met. But in fact, we've gone to high school, the same high school years before, but we just didn't meet there. But yeah, we've been friends since.
0: And maybe just for the context that the listeners understand um, what we're going to be talking about and the questions. What is it that you had to go through at the young age?
1: So when I was like an early teenager, I was in a pro tennis academy. So sort of playing, you know, two, three hours a day and nutritionists and massage therapists and like the whole deal. Um, And then I started suffering from a nerve disease, which uh, can be fatal, which impacted sort of my whole central nervous system. So my autoimmune system started attacking my nerves. And so, sort of, I started losing the ability to walk, use my hands, any sort of motoric function. Um, so I ended up being hospitalized for about two months and, um, lost a lot, a lot of weight. So I think I was 36 kilos when I was 14, 15. And, um, yeah, my life changed ever since, to be honest. It's been still impacted today. So it was it was quite a big shift.
0: And actually, you weren't so small. You were a teenager. Then I completely got this wrong. And I think maybe that's even more severe because I think your teenage years are the years you are kind of exploring your own identity, you finding completely. yourself in school. Like, how did you deal with being at the hospital, I guess, for such a long time, losing yourself to medication?
1: Yeah, I think I always talk about it in terms of that I have like two different lives. Like, I still talk about the the life before the disease is a different life to me, because it truly was. Mm -hmm. Um, And sort of, I had this life of being very free. And you know, you're sort of protected by your parents, and they still pay your bills, and you just go to school and you have fun and have fun with your friends. And then within like two to three weeks, you're so severely ill and you're basically fighting for your life. And then you just become an adult. There is no in between. And there is no sort of trying to reintegrate into teenage years and trying to live through that, you know, like, I don't know, focused on your first love or things like that. Um, It's not really the priority anymore. Um, The priority is somehow getting through it and staying healthy and somehow staying sane and and yeah, like you just focus day by day at that point. And afterwards, it's very much a shift of priorities in life.
0: How did those
1: priorities shift? I think you just realized that life is very short Mm -hmm. Um, and that serious disease happen to people at any age, any point in time, and that you just need to make the most of it. I will say, I feel like, you know, because of my tennis history, there was also an element of, I was so good at something and I was sort of admired for it. Mm -hmm. And I was, that was part of my identity. Being like really good at tennis was part of my identity. And after the disease, that was gone. There's, you know, I was told I will never play tennis again. Um, You're like lucky when you start to walk again and things like that. And so yeah, after that, I really needed to fill something to fill that void. And that's why I ended up putting all the energy I had into like education, and wanting to be the best student and go to the best universities and get the best job. And I think that's sort of the version that you met as Mm -hmm. well at uni, I was so like, always prioritized, I need to be at the library at this hour and this hour. And I think that comes from that part of my life. So I think it's just a bit of a priority shift and i would also say a bit of just put yourself first you know i think especially in teenage years you can really be pushed around about like oh but as a teenager you're supposed to do that and you're meant to do that and what if i don't what will people think that's something that wasn't my priority anymore i couldn't have cared less because i needed to look up for myself and how i could get healthy because You know i didn't leave the hospital after two months and i was fine it was years
0: and years of rehab so yeah do you think uh, the fact that you kind of jumped into education was also a coping mechanism like was it really you finding a new identity or was it you trying to get into like old Um, like habits where it's that you can put all your energy into one thing like you used to do with tennis
1: I think that's a really good question I think there's definitely an element of that as I said I had to feel a a void Mm -hmm. and I needed that almost like attention right like that you're so good at that I needed that but I also think an element of well the majority of my life is now filled with trying to get healthy doing all the therapies I need to do I can't do sports, which used to be my balance Mm -hmm. and what I love doing. I can't really physically move that well yet. What else am I going to do, right? So I think it's also just an element of keeping myself occupied. And for me, it was so important to not be let down again. Like I lost so much in that time. The last thing I wanted to do is have to repeat a year at school and, and, you know, all of that. So I think it was also to just prove myself that I could move on with normality of life.
0: And what do you think were the biggest challenges? Maybe going back to school, back into this old habit you spoke about how it's kind of finding out again who you are, but maybe more on a day-to-day basis. Like what what was the really crucial things where you're like, okay, I feel like maybe I'm a bit different now than other yeah. people. I mean it happened
1: all the time I think you just grow up within a heartbeat like I felt so much more mature and I I, I felt that for years afterwards because of the priority shifts I think on a day to day it's the control mechanisms that you start having right like I started to control everything about my life where am I going will I have to walk stairs there is there going to be an airway where you know I I I could lose my balance, and is there going to be dark lighting? Like for a long time, I would never go into a club because it was too dark. I would lose my balance because my balance is tied to my eyesight, and like everything that I ended up doing in my life was based on controlling it, and that's how I could function as a normal human being and integrate in society. And I think that definitely changed massively, Um, and I do think that's still something I do today. You know, I make very conscious choices of what I do, with who, how, where, because of how my body will feel afterwards.
0: That's really an eye-opening thing that you're saying as well, because I think as a person or as a friend of yours, I never noticed these yeah. things, you know? Like, of course, when we used to go out, you did mention it, but yeah. I mean, these are daily thoughts yeah. that run through your head. And
1: you know, it's funny, like, I used to go to parties, Obviously, I still wanted to be a teenager and I went to parties and people would always make fun of me because they would be like, oh, Caroline's so drunk. Mm-hmm. I wasn't drunk. Yeah. I just didn't have balance in the dark. But you just keep going. Um, I think sometimes that that is a hard thing, you know, you, you don't know what people go through. And I think that that was a big life lesson that I had out of this. You don't know what people go through, what they suffer from. A lot of disabilities aren't visible. A lot of mental struggles aren't visible. And sort of be kind to people because there might be a reason why, you know, they behave the way they do. Um, And I think I still struggle sometimes, you know, my disabilities, they're not visible. People still see me as a completely healthy person. And in a way that's good. But it also means it can become a disadvantage because your achievements aren't put into perspective. For me to achieve what I achieve, I need to put a lot more in. Than a healthy person.
0: Because and, of energy
1: levels of everything, you know?
0: And it's yeah. like if you don't vocalize it, no one will know. Yeah. But then again, if you over vocalize it, how are people gonna receive it? You know? It's yeah. So it's always this kind of struggle. And, and people
1: get uncomfortable yeah. with disease, you know? Like I rather open up about it and someone to be passionately asking questions about what I've been through. I'm not asking for pity. Mm-hmm. Like that's the worst when they're just like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like it's okay, like, I'm dealing with it, you
0: know? Now, you already touched up on the topic of tennis, which used to be a huge part of your life. And how did you cope with letting go of something that could have potentially also been a career path for you? Because you said you were doing the training and not just, like, going to tennis lessons every week, once a week, but really with the massages and the trainers and the academy, and it was your life. It was probably one of the
1: hardest things I've ever done. I remember going back to tennis, obviously quite quickly, even after I was sick, because it was just something that was part of my life. I somehow was like, you know, maybe after a year when I say quite quickly, right, like I Mm -hmm. had to learn how to walk again first, but... Yeah, um, essential. Yeah. (laughs) And it was really hard. Like, I would come home from every practice, I would cry, because Mm -hmm. how is it that your body just doesn't know how to do something that you've done for 10 years? I think... At some point, you just need to start accepting. This thing happened, and I can't change anything about it. That being said, this is still hard for me today. Like, I'm still playing with the thought of, can I do, like, intensive tennis camps or something like that? Because there's, like, the competitive side of me that's, like, I cannot live without having a basic standard. And it's quite interesting, you know, you meet people... Also, when we started university, there's, like, these clubs, Mm -hmm. etc., You meet people that have the same passion, which is tennis, like the passion's still there. But then it comes to like, let's go play. And you're like, uh, no, I like "Mm, maybe not. And you don't really know how to justify that. Right. You have this whole life of like, oh, I used to be really good. I played these tournaments. But do I even mention it? Because then I have to explain why I don't do it anymore. It's still a bit of a sore spot, but I think it's just about accepting and I can still be proud of where I was. Like, realistically, I still, you know, I I became successful in another part of life. Um, And I think, you know, just like other podcast hosts you've had, maybe five years down the road, I would have figured out, "Mm, I'm not doing this. That's not what I want to do anymore. Who knows, right? And tennis is such a competitive sport. So who knows how it would have turned out? Um, I think it's just, yeah, it's that acceptance. Because if you don't do that, it's gonna hurt and you're not, it's not getting you anywhere. Like, that's energy not well spent,
0: you know? Mm -hmm. But I feel like this also feeds into the point that you said about growing up very fast. Yeah. Because it's like someone realizing this, that it's kind of, okay, I have to deal with this consequence now that my body cannot actually do what my mind wants to do. And you're like closing a chapter and you're getting ready for a new one. And I think... Usually, I'm going to put in parentheses, you have this experience maybe when you go to university or when you do your first job and you realize maybe this is not what I want to do. And people experience this a lot later in life yeah, for sure. than when you did. Now, the quote that I have for you today is fittingly from a tennis player, from Rafael Nadal. And he said, Enduring means accepting accepting things as they are and not as you wish them to be and then looking ahead and not behind i
1: think it's what i just sort of touched about yeah. on is yeah. you like a lot of things happen in life now a lot of people experience bad things in in all sort of settings and you know hopefully you don't but some people do and what do you do with that And if you can't just accept that that's your new reality, you're going to become really depressed and it's going to be extremely hard to move on and achieve new things. Like you can't force things, especially things that are sort of put upon you from an external factor, like getting a disease or something like that. You just can't control that. And trying to fight it, Will not get you anywhere. I think it's okay sometimes to look back and still have a cry. Like it's okay. That's part of the process. Like you can miss the life that you used to have, or or yeah, the injury-free life, or whatever, for example, Rafa was referring to. But it's, it's that acceptance that you need to just see this is your new life. What can I make of it, given the circumstances? You know, these adversities. Like you grow from them too, right? As I said, like I got so much more mature at a very quick rate and age etc like there's benefits to that too and that made me successful in other ways and um yeah I think acceptance is just the key things happen
0: I mean I think he he is here funny enough referring to probably a tennis match but it it's a quote that you can read in such a larger context
1: and you know he's so true like in a tennis match as well like if things don't go your way it's like, you could get really frustrated about it and you can make sure you definitely lose or you can just accept, okay, this first set was not where I was planning to go with this at all. Yeah. Let's reset and see what I can make out of it now. Mm-hmm. It might take me a bit longer because I have to win an extra set now, but I can still get there. Yeah. And I think that is very much, and maybe this tennis experience of mine is why I've been dealing with my adversities
0: the way I have, you know. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a part of your life that had a huge impact and that shaped you as a person in a young age. And it's something that you will be able to feed from for the rest of your life, regardless if you're still in that world or not. Yeah. So my last question today is, what are you doing to manage your health right now? Because you mentioned that it is a process, it's not something where you got out of the hospital and you were back to normal, and now, even, what is it, like 12 years later, you're still coping with it. So what are you, how are you handling that right now?
1: I think on a daily basis, it's the boundaries that I set for myself. I think you get to know your body really well, so, you know, see what does good to you, how you feel good when you feel good and with what people and make that shape your life um I set very strict boundaries like you will not find me at a club ever and like you know this you're my friend Mm -hmm. and that is for specific reasons I know exactly how I feel the next day and it doesn't add you know to my well-being it's
0: not worth it yeah
1: and the same is with like excessive drinking like doesn't feel good, won't do, and you know if I wake up and I wake up with a lot of back pain and and or you know I still get pains related to the damaged nerves and you know however I feel if I don't feel well I will cancel and it's it's also about surrounding yourself with people that just have enough sensitivity to be okay with that you know that are like okay that's totally fine I'll see you next time. Um, I don't like bend myself upwards, downwards, sideways, whatever, to fit into people's schedules and how they need me to be because I will put myself first. Um, Otherwise of course my days are still filled with different therapies. Um, You know, I go to the chiropractor every two weeks to make sure my back pain is regulated. I try acupuncture to still sort of activate the nervous system and I do other things. But that being said, I still do research, you know, I'm still hoping for that next medication that can sort of heal damaged nerve cells. And, you know, maybe one day there is something that can get my body back to like full health. So I'm just, yeah, hopeful.
0: I just always I'm hopeful. Yeah. yeah, it's it's also something to think about because it is a disease that is not that common, if yeah. I'm correct so also the amount of research that probably goes into it is quite limited
1: it's quite interesting actually because given it yes it's usually like a virus but then it's it's an autoimmune disease as such as well because it's your immune system that attacks your nerves Mm -hmm. and it's becoming more and more popular now these autoimmune diseases because of how we're eating and and what we're feeding our bodies and what we're exposed to. Mm-hmm. Like you hear this a lot more, you hear people having more sort of in like digestional autoimmune diseases, like Crohn's, et cetera, because of what we're exposed to where I hear people saying that, you know, long COVID is an autoimmune disease. And, and so, yeah, yeah. like even guillain which is what I add, um, is actually growing in popularity. And so I do, you know, there is this part of me that's just so interested in, medicine and just that part I I watch so many videos on what can be done about it and it's quite interesting but yeah you're still hopeful like one day the research is going to get there you know and it's going to find a solution Um, it just might take some time
0: would you ever this is an out of the box question but uh, because I think a lot of people when they for example have um, like really bad acne or and eating disorder or any sorts of like illnesses that you have you go through and you get out of and you did a lot of research on it you learn a lot about it you learn a lot about the human body and how it copes with these things and they bring it into the internet they create a blog or a website an instagram page whatever it may be you never considered doing this did you um or did you no <laughs> In the
1: sense of, you know, when this was extremely current, when I was going through the healing process, that was not my priority. I actually, at the time, I didn't want to talk to anyone. Mm-hmm. Like, even my grandparents, I didn't allow them to come to the hospital. It was, you know, you hear this about people that are severely ill. They, like, really close up on their circle. Social media and all that stuff is completely irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Um, I think now... You know, I've thought about it like I would love to have a podcast and sort of share a bit about or or even help people, mm-hmm. you know, like it will get better or this is how to cope with it. And but I haven't thought about sort of sharing the research, etc., because we're not at a point yet where it can really lead to anything. I think I'm at the point of sort of my own research. And maybe if I do go on a full healing journey at some point and because I do think there is a path, I might I might. You know post about it but for now I think it's just not there yet it'll be too far away you know it's just sort of gathering information and, and see what what might be worth doing at some point what's quite interesting is that I almost have to do this myself right because mm-hmm. doctors are sort of well this is what happens to you and then you know you have to live with whatever is left of this disease for the rest of your life and you're just being sent off and you're like, okay, thanks very much. That's, That's amazing.
0: Um, they don't know. That's yeah. probably the biggest issue. Like, they they can't tell you something that they just assume. Yeah. Um, But they also they just can't give you what you want to hear. Yeah. Because people usually want to hear, I have this, this is the medication yeah. for it. This is how I'm going to fix it. And in this case...
1: Yeah. Or they don't have the resources to say, okay, let's do a study. Yeah. Like... I listened to something without getting into too much detail of this medical stuff. I I listened to to a podcast and they said something quite interesting, which is sort of doctors are trained on body parts at the moment in modern medicine Mm -hmm. rather than on diseases. And so you might have someone with an autoimmune disease like Crohn's and go to a gastrologist who gives you medication to like deal with the symptoms. Then you have someone with an autoimmune disease that is nerve related and you go to your neurologist and they do the same. But it both comes from the same source. Now, no one studies that because we don't study diseases as a whole, like autoimmune disease as a whole. Mm-hmm. We go to doctors that are specific on body parts. And this is just quite interesting. And I think there's going to be a big movement in the next, you know, few years and decades on this as these diseases are growing. And um, yeah, it might change a lot.
0: Hopefully. Hopefully. I mean, also the whole thing was long COVID, like not COVID per se. Yeah. But doctors don't know what it is. They don't know how to handle it. And suddenly there's this constant fatigue that people have and it's young people. Yeah, I think it's... Doctors always struggle when
1: you can't do a scan sometimes. Some COVID patients, obviously you can because the lungs are affected, but you can't do a scan to see where energy levels are at, or if this is true, or if it's just like, you know, maybe things are happening in your life. Psychological. When yeah. I went to the hospital with my symptoms, it took weeks for them to make a diagnosis. You know why? Because they thought, oh, we have a 14 year old that's 36 kilos. She must have an eating disorder. And so they sent me psychologists before they sent the, the, the real test. But I was in so much agony. Mm-hmm. I was in so much pain. But they weren't giving me anything about it because they had to test that first. And, you know, that's why it's really hard sometimes in the field of medicine to be believed. Like, I've very much learned if you need something from doctors, you need to tell them what you need. Don't wait for them to turn around and be like, oh, you should do this and this and this. It's not how it works. It's scary a bit, no? It is super scary. And, you know, I was super put off by going to any sort of psychiatrist, psychologist for years after because no one believed me I was in so much pain but it took weeks to be put on morphine you know like it's you need to prove them wrong first and I think with long COVID we're seeing this a bit as well Mm -hmm. right how much of energy levels is you not eating correctly you're not taking your vitamins your habit how much you exercise all these things but there might actually be something underneath um but yeah, I, I mean, they are doing a lot of research into that, that as well, and, and medication coming out. So we'll see where that goes.
0: But yeah, it's it's a scary thing. It is, and it's an incredible story that you shared with us today. Thank you so much for being so open about it, and hopefully, some of the listeners can take something away from it. Because even if you don't struggle with something this severe, I think it's it opens your mind into different dimensions and how you can cope with life even when you're not maybe in the best place and to make the best out of it yeah absolutely
1: again thanks for having me of course (laughs) and
0: i'll talk to you guys in the next episode bye